Oftentimes, society wants us to check a box. I'm a mom. I have a career. I'm an entrepreneur. They tell us to niche down. But what happens when you want to have it all? Welcome to the Multifaceted AF Podcast. My name is Kay, and my mission is to help men and women everywhere own all of the pieces of who they are in every way. We're going to be joined by guests and friends that show us what celebration of taking up space in all places really looks like. Now let's dive in. So today we're joined by Kerwin. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. So Kerwin, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Kerwin, Boston boy. I, I, I was born here in Boston. Um, I grew up in Barbados, um, lived in Florida, um, went to boarding school in Jamaica. Um, I spent some time in Europe and South America, but no matter where I've gone in the world, I've always ended up back here in Boston. Okay. I love it here. Okay. Yeah. You love it here? I love it here. <laughs> I go pop my con hobby. Okay. All right. <laughs> so you know that I am the multifaceted mama. Yes, Tell me are. what being multifaceted means to Kerwin. When I think multifaceted, why do I, I think diamonds. I mean, I think, that's legitimate. <laughs> I, think, I think precious stones with yes. many cuts. Okay. So um, uh, precious stone, mm-hmm. something precious, many cuts that, you know, each cut, may it be symmetric or not, um, they all add value okay. to the bigger picture. So multifaceted can mean having multiple cuts mm-hmm. uh, of value mm-hmm. to the big picture as far as a conglomerate of, yeah. Absolutely. So tell us about what it means, like your, how you are multifaceted. I think what makes me multifaceted or unique in some respects is mm-hmm. that I wear many hats at any given moment. Okay. Um, I'm someone's father. Mm-hmm. I have four kids. Okay. Four sons. Four, four amazing, boys. Four amazing little boys. Okay. There's something special. Okay. Um, I, I have a twin brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an IT professional. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a musician. Um, and I'm all. I also do work in the community as well. And I try to give back in that respect. Okay. So that's amazing. But like you said, all of those different parts of you show up differently. Um, and like you said, they add value. It's all, all of them are very valuable and very important. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. So we met, Ooh, I don't know how long ago. Do you remember what year it was that we met? 2020, 2019. 2019. We met at work. So we met in the corporate space and it yes. was, I don't know if it's, so it's definitely a common corporate thing. I can I can definitely say a lot of people that I talk to in the corporate space have this experience where it's like, you see another person of color and you're like, come, come to me. Yes, Hello. That's how exactly, are you? That's exactly what I need to was. know who you are. <laughs> so it was definitely one of those things. Like I see another black person. Let's, let's be friends. And it's not necessarily always let's be friends. It's always, at least let me greet you. Let me greet you. Hello. How are you? I see you. Um, but I think we became fast friends. We definitely hit it off. Um, yes, from a personality perspective, I think that our personalities mesh well. Um, but I think that you are also a, an IT professional. So I, I needed you a lot. <laughs> I, I needed you a lot. Uh, so I think that it definitely stemmed from that, but has become a friendship from there. Absolutely. Well, it's funny because when I saw you, your reputation, like totally, I mean, you're a rock star. So it was like, that's her. <laughs> She's the one. And it was like, wait, She's black. I mean, I heard the Kareem Ricketts part and I'm like, okay. So I know she's a sister. Mm-hmm. Got the last name that ends with an A. And I heard the name Ricketts before back mm-hmm. home when I was in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I wonder if she's like a real island girl. Because you meet some, because because you meet some, hold on. Yeah. You actually meet actual black folks or people of color in the corporate workspace. And 
it's not quite they're not that multifaceted it's true it's true and i think that for me that's really a big part of why mm. i say it's something to be celebrated it's something to be celebrated that i am who i am whether it's in a backyard party <laughs> bashman or a boardroom and i mean i will shift who i am and how i show up oh, absolutely. but the authenticity the is there. The authenticity is there. And that's why, like, that's who I am through and through. No. And I think that that's why, that's what this movement has meant. It's really about the idea of celebrating that. I think that it, it's it's a superpower and it really is something that's worth being celebrated. Absolutely. It's what, definitely one of those things where I walk into rooms now, even as an IT professional, and it's like you read the room and it's like you see another person of color and it's like, okay, is he one of us or is she one of us? Um, being that, okay, are they from like the Caribbean West Indian diaspora? And if not, fine, we still embrace you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But where are you from? What's your story? Like, you know, like where, where do we coincide mm -hmm. as far as things we may have in common other than the color of our skin? Absolutely. There's way more to it than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love that. So you talk a little bit about your being an IT professional. Tell us about your kind of career trajectory. So schooling and then career trajectory. I think that... um I am very impressed by kind of your you. pathway to getting to where you are now. Um, I know that I've had you on a few career panels when we do kind of that, that outreach. Yeah. So going into schools and being an example to the students and showing them that there are people in these positions that look like them, have locks, are from the same islands. Um, so I, I'm very big on that representation piece. But your, specifically your kind of, career trajectory has been one that I'm very much impressed with. So talk us through that. Well, thank you for getting me in those spaces where I can actually reach out to the Absolutely. Young men and women um, so they can see me because I just realized I was a unicorn. Well, you're <laughs> one too, because I'm like, I've never met a Karima before. It's true. You know, don't see too many of those. Are you actually the first and the only one that I do know <laughs> in that corporate space that's just kicking ass and kicking down doors. Mm -hmm. um, as far as like my initial path goes, it started off with passion. It started off with the excitement. Like someone put a computer in front of me one day. Mm -hmm. um, and that's someone being my dad. Um, I remember we had this computer that we bought from like Computer Warehouse. They're like, they're in uh, uh, South Boston, mm -hmm. Andrew. They're called Tech Boston or Boston Tech something the other. Needless to say, I remember we got a computer from them and it had like Windows 311 on it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say a bunch of computer jargon <laughs> and language. And you're going to be like, I don't, I don't know what that is. But we had the old DOS system on our computer and it it used to crash all the time. It didn't work. And I had a teacher. Um, her name is Mrs. Baumgarten, a homeroom teacher. Um, I went to Dorchester High School, um, APS, at the Academy of Public Service. Big up APS. <laughs> um, her husband, uh, Kurt Baumgarten, worked for, um, at the time, Monitor Group in Cambridge. And uh, she was like, my husband can help you with that. Because um, I was having t I was having trouble just, you know, turning papers in on time and doing projects because, well, my computer at home just sucked. And um, someone just, someone took an interest in me. And um, part of the reason why I find it, I find it that's very important for me to pay it forward is because, well, someone took an interest in me. So initially Kurt helped me out and I worked with him. Um, I interned for him at uh, Bay Micro, the company that he started, that he did. He was very, was very, very successful. Um, I also interned for the city of Boston. They call me a boomerang because I started off as an intern and they throw me out. <laughs> I come right back the following summer as an intern working for Mayor Menino mm -hmm. um, and at Boston City Hall. And um, I remember after high school, college, um, I wasn't interning anymore. Mm -hmm. They actually offered me a job. And I remember being at uh, Boston City Hall and I ended up at 1010 Mass Ave. Funny story about how I ended up at the health commission. <laughs> 
I guess we're here with a podcast, so let's talk about it, right? Yes. So this is 1999, 2000, and I'm that old <laughs> where if you guys remember the big city smoke out where mm -hmm. the city of Boston banned smoking from inside public buildings and um, inside Boston City Hall in 2000, I hope, uh, oh my gosh, city officials are going to probably choke me out for this. <laughs> I'm going to get beat up and get a bunch of parking tickets now because <laughs> I'm telling all the business. But in 99, 2000, they still had cigarette vending machines inside City Hall. And it was a scene out of Mad Men where they would legit smoke in the server rooms. Computers and smoke just don't, <laughs> don't do well. Go. They, yeah. just, they just don't work. But they was down there lighting up every day. And they was just smoking cigarettes. It was a cloud of smoke. And I got Caribbean parents. And every day I come home smelling like smoke. And my dad was on some stuff like, boy, you're smoking cigarette? And I'm like, <laughs> no. I'm like, no. <laughs> He was like, oh, you trying to play with me. Mm. I'm not. Mm. And he went to my job. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Caribbean parents. <laughs> my dad went to my job and mm. talked to my boss and expressed his concern in the most West Indian fashion way as relates to, hey, I think my son's smoking, but he's telling me that you guys smoke inside here. And my boss at the time, uh, Jack Walensky, was like, since you care so much about your lungs and your air that you breathe, um, check this out. We're going to see the 1010 Mass Ave and work at the Health Commission. Okay. So that's how I ended up at the Health Commission because I told, or according to them, I was a snitch and I told my dad <laughs> about the smoke inside the building, inside City Hall in 2000. So I ended up working at 1010 Mass Ave at the Health Commission. Mm -hmm. And um, that was an awesome, awesome experience. Um, just seeing how um, public policy can actually become law and how things get lobbied and campaigned and, and things get done on a local government level. Absolutely. Um, so that was So that was cool. Um, not even this cool, just interesting in itself from an IT perspective to know that I have an impact on that as far as what I'm doing is adding value to help push an initiative to get, at the time, public Wi-Fi was something that was discussed here in Boston, mm -hmm. which they do offer in, in Lawrence, which is weird, but don't use public Wi-Fi. It's a trick. <laughs> it's a conspiracy to try and get your information, Black people. Um, no, but um, public computers and kiosks and offering uh, different technological services and to see the direction that the city of Boston wanted to go in back then is interesting to see where we are now present day as far as what city services are available mm -hmm. um, through different vendors and companies, whether it be discounted internet email um, and things of that nature. Likewise, um, during that time, leaving Dorchester High and graduating class of the millennium, year 2000 was an interesting time because the whole Y2K thing was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. It never did. <laughs> no computers crashed and no, nothing reset and ATM machines didn't spit out money. Um, I ended up going to Wentworth. Okay. I was there for a few years. Um, one of the cool things about Wentworth was um, I met my wife there. Okay. She was an architect major and I was a computer science major. And I remember when I bagged her. Can I say that? <laughs> you can say that. <laughs> I can say that. She had this big old drawn thing, a little easel in her hand. And I saw her and I... I put my Mac down, you know what I'm talking about? I was wearing my Sean John velour suit because that's what, that's what players wore. Player hard R, not player hard R, player. That's what players wore back then. And uh, I was a comp sci major. And um, like I said, I, like, you know, I took the scenic route um, because at that time I was still very much working and I was consulting. Um, this is before the bubble burst as far as dot-com goes. So I was 18 years old and I drove a really nice car <laughs> now that I think about it little too nice for 18 year olds, but whatever. Um, that's that Jamaican swag, I guess. <laughs> um, no, I had, I had some pretty cool, fun stuff and, um, and the business was very, very profitable for me. And it's been a blessing because, um, people like the Kurt Baumgartens of the world and even Neil West, um, and programs such as urban scholars, um, at UMass Boston provided me opportunities where 
they saw that I had a passion. They knew that I was excited about something. And you know what? Resources magically appeared um, as far as people taking interest in me. So uh, hence why I said earlier, I, I find it to be not only a responsibility, but my duty to pay it forward. Um, but after uh, Wentworth, I ended up at uh, Lincoln Tech, Seaton University. Um, I ended up going to a BU, Eng BU engineering school where um, I learned network security um, as well as uh, management and technology. And my last stop on the train was Harvard University, Hewitt, Harvard University Information Technology Program. Very impressive. A little bit. So I didn't know any of that about you until I had you sit on the first career panel. And um, so you're like, like you said, it really, for me, those career panels, that's what it's for. Yeah. It's giving these students an opportunity to hear that you don't necessarily have to take the straight and narrow route. Things happen in life. Like you said, you were working through part of, through, through your, your schooling. And it really is kind of prioritizing whatever needs to be prioritized in your life. Um, but showing them somebody that looks like them that has a, been able to kind of navigate the career lattice, um, do the whole schooling in somewhat of an unconventional path. Um, and I think that it's amazing. I think that's well, amazing. Thank you. Um, as far as it being unconventional, it wasn't planned because the, the plan was to, you know, sit out four years at Wentworth. Mm -hmm. The idea was to, you know what, I have an opportunity to be at Boston University. Let me stay in this engineering program and, and you know, flourish and succeed. But life was lifing. Mm -hmm. um, but also I was working. I had a, I had I knew I had a career. I knew there was a path to success mm -hmm. as it relates to getting where I wanted to get to. Mm -hmm. um, and during this time, opportunities presented themselves. Um I wanted to be multifaceted. Like I said earlier, I'm a musician. Mm -hmm. um, I play saxophone um, and I played in a band uh, back in Jamaica and I, I went solo. <laughs> I, I wanted to go lead. Um, needless to say, no, um, I played saxophone and, um, and I'm a musician at heart. And during that time, I mean, technology, once again, um, being a blessing, a company called Carrot Innovation uh, reached out to me and they was like, hey, um, we have the software called VTT, virtual turntables. And mind you, if you, you're in the music space, Miss mm -hmm. Bashment girl, okay. <laughs> um, DJs used to pull up to parties. Back for y'all folks who don't know, y'all young people in the olden days, they'd pull up with crates and crates, crates of records, records. Of vinyl. Yep. And you were a real cool DJ if you showed up with crates and crates or books of CDs. Um, I was one of the first DJs in Boston, and I can, and I can say this as far as a pioneer goes, that would pull up with his computer. And I would juggle my tunes <laughs> on my computer. I, no, I, I kid you not. I remember being at a bashment and I was DJing. I had my laptop or even laptop. I had a desktop computer I'd show up with and a mixer and a receiver. And I was doing my thing. And this guy was like, oh, my gosh, this is this is a push button sound. And I'm like, yeah. And the name stuck. So folks used to call me DJ push button. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And to this present day, I'm still push or button or numbers, you know, Caribbean folks yep. give you a name. You get a name and it sticks. And it sticks, yeah. yeah. So I was DJ push button for many years. Okay. <laughs> you so didn't know that. I did not know that. No. Nope. I did not. I didn't know that. So I'm learning something new. Often mm -hmm. learning something new. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about your career trajectory. Talk to me about the role that you're in now. Uh, currently right now, I am a senior manager um, doing digital workspace and user experience. Okay. So um, the organization I work for... Um, they have an awesome, awesome product that does uh, therapeutics in the STEM in the STEM space. Okay, 
science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's where we live. That's where we live. That's That's where we live. live. Absolutely. Um, But that is a new, a newer role, right? So what what was your last, because we worked together at your previous company, the company that I'm at now. So talk to me about your past role and then what the experience was going from that role to the new one. All right. So previous role, um, I was an executive IT relations manager slash project manager, um, senior manager. I managed a lot of technology and people mm-hmm. as well as expectations. Okay. Um, what was cool about that previous situation was the opportunity not only to travel and see different environments, but to see a sleeping giant, more or less how a large corporation moves and, and the type of influence they had and have. Um, I remember being in a situation where um, they were opening a new office in middle America where I remember going there initially and there's nothing but trailer parks. <laughs> there were, yes, double wides. Mm-hmm. Um, bunch of cow tippers and and moonshine sellers and here this organization shows up and they now become an ecosystem for this place because prior to you couldn't get an uber or a lyft there was no hotels i fast forward back there eight months later we have a taco bell which <laughs> i'm not eating there but whatever they have you know fast food restaurants there's infrastructure and it made me feel really good knowing that i worked for an organization that had such positive impact within a community especially if folks especially folks of color Absolutely. minorities Absolutely. in uh, middle america as far as like the corporate landscape goes, as far as just um, being present and being available to not only myself, but to the folks in the community, it was good to meet a Miss K Ricketts, um, a multifaceted sister like yourself. It was good to meet other brothers or black folks in general that, you know, shared the same mission as, as, as it relates to just, just for, just for development, as far as just pushing the culture. Um, it was a really, really good situation as it relates to um, the community goes and folks working together absolutely, and having those uh, uh, affinity groups. Absolutely. Yeah. So that is one of the things that we worked on together was the, um, the African heritage employee resource group at our company. Um, so I had started the chapter shortly after joining the company and realizing that there wasn't much of a presence in the Boston area. There was um, some presence in a couple of the further outside. So like I think Franklin had, um, a chapter and mm. there was a sprinkling of employees of color or black employees at the different sites. So there wasn't necessarily enough for every site to have their own chapter. So I came up with this almost regional model where mm. it was the greater Boston chapter and all the sites in the area, I had them all come together. So we had representatives at each of the locations and the thought process was for us to kind of join forces, band together. Um, it was good for impact because we came together and we kind of shared resources and would kind of send things out almost satellite style to the different sites. Absolutely. Um, but that was really how we started working together was on that idea of the employee resource group. I think that employee resource groups are a great mechanism for building that community in the workspace. And a, and a safe space. Absolutely. And absolutely. A safe space. Absolutely. It's people that look like you. So like you said, kind of that affinity groupings, but these people that look like you, um, coming together and that camaraderie that was built, that being able to share kind of experiences, um, work together for the greater good. The thought process is each of them have like different kind of pillars within them. So things like career development, um, things like community outreach. So there were lots of things happening, but I think it was really also a good opportunity for that relationship building. Absolutely. Um, and like, like I said, safe space is one of those things where where do we go Absolutely. to talk about microaggressions, mm-hmm. so to speak, at work? How do where do we go to talk about career planning? Like who do we lean on? Because mm-hmm. 
I remember um, my wife told me once that the Asian woman and the Indian woman is the equivalent of the white woman in the workplace. And I never understood that impact until I saw how black women were treated in the corporate workspace, where even as it relates to even leave, leave, I mean, we work in the biopharma space, so we deal with health and, and, uh, you know, uh, medical treatment and care as it relates to, uh, people of color. And it's like, even, even within the hospital and, and just healthcare itself, they expect our threshold of pain to be a lot higher. higher. So when they deliver bad news to you, whether, whether, whether how it makes you feel, it's like you have thick skin, you'll be okay. That's real. Yeah. That's very real. That's a very real scenario that I'm have lived through where it's just like the expectation is very different. And it's, we talk a little, we talk about the, this idea of unconscious bias. I don't necessarily know that people are out there like she's black. She can deal with it. I don't necessarily know that it's an active thought. No, it's an unconscious bias where the assumption is there. It's not necessarily something that's on purpose, but that's very real. That's very real. Yeah. I mean, once again, I, I can assure you, um, and even, even, um, I hate to say it, but almost fetishized where it's like, okay, um, a black woman isn't exactly considered exotic, you know what I mean? In the workspace, especially if you wear natural mm-hmm. hair and, um, you dress a certain way or you have a certain physical aesthetic that doesn't exactly fit the mold of what they think beautiful may be. And it's interesting because you go to some of these, you are the face of the company. <laughs> Yeah. And a lot of the press, as far as far as impre- as far as you know, press information goes with the photos and quotables and what have you, we see your face. The unfortunate thing about it is there's but one of you. There's but two or three of us that are once again sprinkled here and there. Mm-hmm. And when you do see people of color, um, I'd be I'd be frank, whether it be black or brown people in the corporate space, it's like, hmm. One of the first things I have to ask myself outside of your reputation preceding you was like, okay, so she's not the help. And that's, and that's, and I'm embarrassed to even say that, but that's real. I'm embarrassed to even say that because I had some, I had some good friends that I worked with there as well. These are solid brothers. And it was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm facilities. And they look up to me like, dude, like we have to make sure you're good. You know what I mean? Because you work, you work, you fix the computers, man. And it's like, thanks. <laughs> I, make no, sure, I make sure I hold this down. Absolutely. That's very real. But that idea of like, you see the, you see my face and that, not I'm I'm not the help. No, I am the work. <laughs> I'm the work. I'm the reason. Why, I'm, the I'm the work. Reason, I'm the reason why we're here. It's true. Yeah. I, like I drive the strategy. Like I'm driving the strategy. Like I am the work. I am the ideas. Yeah. So that and that's why I go back to this. That's why that representation is so important because mm. you may see the admins, and there's nothing wrong with being an admin. No, absolutely not. But I want to provide that example of. You can do, there's so much more. There's so many more opportunities. There's so many different positions and kind of pathways. And my trajectory is a story of that. I came in as an admin. I came in as a help. You were, yeah. So not, <laughs> not at this company, but okay. like my career started when I was in the hospital space. It okay. was, I had graduated from undergrad. Um, the job market was terrible. So I needed to work and I started temping um, for the hospitals. Basically there was a hospital organization and they had their own temp service. So I went in there, started out as, as started out as a temporary admin for the head of GI pathology, did a great job. He recommended me to the head of, um, molecular pathology. And this man had just received his own lab. They gave him a lab. So he need his admin had quit and he was looking to kind of backfill his admin. So I started as his admin but I came in with my background and my personality 
and was just like, this, we need process. We need process. We need to have some type of systems in place. So I went from being his admin, maybe three months of just doing admin work, but it quickly became a, I'm going to turn this into something. I created the op, the, the, the administrative operation. So basically anything that wasn't clinical fell under my remit. Um, and it was a situation where I was oftentimes brought in to be the help. So there was like, we'd have leadership meetings. Yeah. Technically I'm the admin, like, oh, she's here to do the minutes. Maybe two or three meetings where that was the case. And then I started raising my hand and saying, have you thought about this? Let's do this. To the point where a seat was created, I became the admin, the, 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 super, the admin supervisor and had a seat at the table, shoulder to shoulder with these MDs, PhDs, to the point where I was actually directing their Rockstar. learning and development. Because my thing is, these Rockstar. are people, <laughs> these are people who have excelled and are doing really well based on their knowledge and skills and understanding. So from the medical sense, they were phenomenal minds. But they didn't go to school to be managers. They didn't go to school to be leaders. That's no. not what they've studied. But now you have a laboratory with all of these technicians working for you. And you're not a manager. You don't have leadership. Like you don't have that leadership competency hasn't been taught to you. Yeah. So that's where I came in. I brought that to them and taught them things like personalysis, which is basically like personality testing. It helps you to better understand who you are as a person and how others function. Did you personality test me? Did you? I didn't. Did I you haven't. I personalysis me. <laughs> I think I want to see. I want to see one of your charts. So there's a few different ones. There's personalysis. There's like insights. Okay. Um. So there's a few different varieties of it. But I brought that to this workspace and basically had everybody go through that testing so that they understood themselves. They understood how they communicate with others, how they like to be communicated with. But it brought that awareness to them where it's like, you need to understand this about yourself and understand this about your team because you can't just operate based off of your brain and the science and the the kind of medical knowledge that you have. You're a leader. So as far as career path goes, mm -hmm. you created a situation for yourself. Absolutely. Right? And, and you saw opening mm -hmm. and you and you opened it. You Absolutely. You down. Absolutely. When you left that role, mm -hmm. did you have a successor? I did not. I actually, I'm... I don't think so. I don't think so. Was your role backfilled? Was 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 the opportunity that you created for yourself? Did that leave space for someone else, another K, to come in and do her thing? I don't know. So I know that the admin. So basically, the what ended up happening is I grew out of the admin role and ended up hiring somebody to backfill the admin part of that position. But I actually don't know. So my thing is, I could probably go back and do some investigating. I don't know the specifics of whether or not they backfilled, but I know that I put things in place where it's okay if it wasn't necessarily backfilled because I created almost like a governance structure okay. where there's checks and balances in place. And that was, that's really my legacy, the thought process of building it and building um, something to sustain it where there's that governance where the structure is built. We have, we now have this, this cadence of check-ins and these meetings. So, a lot, of, a so lot. I, I don't want to interview you, but I do want to ask a question <laughs> as it relates to the admin you backfill. Was that a person of color? It was. So, <laughs> so she was, she interviewed. I remember, uh -huh. I remember it like it was yesterday. Okay. So she interviewed with me and I remember her resume. What? No, you're putting people on. I got, I got me a put on story too. Absolutely. So <laughs> her resume wasn't, mm. It wasn't bad, but there were some things that she definitely needed to fix. So she came in, I interviewed her and she had an amazing personality. She had a young daughter. So I saw a lot of myself in her and the fact that like, I remember when I was interviewing for, my, when I came in from, from the temp position and interviewed for that exact role, my son was two. 
So she, her daughter was very young at the time. And she just explained, I'm just trying to create a life for myself and my daughter. Um, and that really spoke to me. So I told her to go home, yeah. fix these things on your resume and resend it to me. And I hired her. I hired, I didn't even ask. I didn't ask like my, we were, I was hiring an admin for my boss. Mm. I didn't really ask for permission. I just kind of went with the fact that I saw something in her and I hired her to backfill. And that was actually one of the first people that I coached unofficially at the time. Cause I wasn't a coach at the time, but she is definitely one of the success stories in the sense that <laughs> she's one of the success <laughs> stories in the sense that I used to tell her things and she would go and put it into practice. And I've seen her career catapults to heights that I didn't even know were possible because she really was committed to taking the advice that I gave her and putting it into action. So she did a great job in that admin position, ended up going to work for, I think it was an insurance company and kind of climbed the ladder there. And now she's at another, I think it's a biotech company doing amazing things. Um, she has had a second child, but the thing about it is, um, like you said, it was somebody that looked like me and it was an opportunity. She definitely was deserving of the opportunity, but it absolutely. was absolutely that I, cre- I, like you said, kind of knocked down those doors. I created a space and I wanted to make sure that it was a, an opportunity for somebody to come in and also have a chance to kind of excel in their career. So it's interesting you say that I, and throughout my career, I worked, um, I remember I worked at a, at a large bio company in Cambridge and I was working with the year up program. And I remember there was young men and women there who were doing the externship programs. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, all right, there's some of them in the group that showed up because they wanted the stipend. But there was there was two young men particularly that, oh my gosh, they were they were, they were breakouts. And I remember I met this one guy, um, I'll say he's good, we're good friends today. His name's Kyle. And I remember uh, Kyle used to work at Micro Center, one of my favorite places to go to geek out because, well, it's all tech, all computers, and it's nerd paradise. So I love Micro Center. And he used to work there. And he used to see me all the time and be like, Brother, what what do you do? And I told him, oh yeah, I'm an IT engineer. And uh, he's like, how can I get into? The, how do I do that? And he's like, I, I don't want to work here at Microcenter Retail. I want to do what you do. Not knowing exactly what I did, he just knew that there was something special about me um, as it relates to how I looked, how I carried myself, and I was buying all this wonderful IT equipment to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. I, I remember I, I fast forward a few years later, he did take my foolish advice and got got himself into an IT program mm-hmm. year up. And I remember. Um, he was just a rock star. He was a breakout star. And the opportunity presented itself where uh, I went on and worked in a, worked for a publishing company and I hired him and I brought him on with me. Mm-hmm. And um, I brought another brother on from the Europe program. And it's funny, you met both of them at the current company you mm-hmm. used to work at together. And these brothers were there and they're doing extremely well. Um, as far as like the put on goes and looking out for not only myself, but you know other young men and women of color, um, I remember being in other situations where I had the ability to hire and Rex would open. I remember being in rooms, like literally with my white counterparts. I mean, they accepted me as one of them because I was a man. However, I remember we were going through resumes one day. And um, as far as the built-in bias goes, sometimes I don't think they're aware of it because they're just not aware Mm -hmm. of it. You know, I mean, call this locker room talk, but like I said, it's a room full of guys and we're going through resumes. And it's interesting how we have to learn how to pronounce every Wachowski, Ipilips, Lupa. You Listen. know, we have to learn their names, which is fine. We figure it out. We say their names. But let us have a name that's too ethnic or way too many syllables or too West African or too Nigerian, um, instantly overlooked. And I remember looking at a resume from a young lady, sister. She was Nigerian. She lived in Roxbury at the time. And 
skill set, education jumped off the page. And just because they couldn't say her name, they tossed the resume to the bottom of the pile. I'm like, no, 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 bring, bring that one back. And I remember looking at it, I'm like, we should give her a call. We brought her in for the interview. She did really well in the first rounds as way to competency goes and testing. She did really, really well as far as, you know, um, knowing the job side. But it was like, she's not a good fit personality-wise. And I'm like, well, why isn't she a good fit? Crickets. Mm-hmm. No one wants to say well, it's because she's black, because no one wants to be racist, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, it's like, that's the reason why. Like, well, we can't say her name. Her last name's complicated. And I'm like, Really? Really? At the time, it's 2000. This is 2014, mm-hmm. 2015. I mean, we ended up hiring her, but unfortunately, the role was paying 90000 a year. Um, they offered her eighty, And it was like, well, if she counters, we'll pay her more. But she didn't counter because I'm pretty sure how often does she get callbacks? Yeah. And it's one of those things for me personally, when you see another black person in the room, it's like, and you're not the help? Oh, let's talk. But imagine me working in IT in, in the information technology space for as long as I have. I can, I can count on one hand how many black women I've seen work as IT managers, uh, network administrators, uh, security professionals. I can count on one hand in my 22 years of doing this, how many people I've seen do that as far as women goes, women of color, black women. I've seen Asian women, Mm -hmm. I've seen white women, but I've never seen sister girl. But that's why it's so important to have that representation. Again, a seat at the table where it's like, no, I'm going to call you on the fact that you're tossing that resume to the side for no other reason than like we talked about that unconscious bias. It may be something a little bit more overt, but having somebody in the room to challenge that, no, we're not, that's not, that's not acceptable. That's not okay. To challenge the, oh, it's not a good fit personality wise. Tell me more. Tell me, tell me why. Yeah. Those are the things that that representation is important, but it gets heavy. I want to definitely say that the representation is important, but it does get heavy. So there's work to be done in terms of that training, training, hiring managers to understand and check that unconscious bias and make sure that they're not doing that. Those practices are not being kind of carried forward um, because it can't all be on. But even even in my space, it's like a boys club. Yeah. It's literally an all boys club. It's an industry dominated predominantly by white males. Mm -hmm. I mean, once again, you get a handful of, you know, the Asian brothers, Latin brothers, and, um, you know, guys like myself of the Caribbean diaspora, it's very rare that you see, you know, a senior manager or director who is black, locks, rocks jays, mm-hmm. loves reggae mm-hmm. and R&B and rap music <laughs> and a little sua kind of thing. But, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, um, it's, it's weird because once again, it, it's, it's, it's a rarity. It's a unicorn. It's like, really? Like you, 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 you can write code. It was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Okay, cool. All right. You know fusion? Yes. You know fusion? Mm-hmm. Yes, I know fusion. No, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. So you talked about kind of that level and that almost I don't want to say a glass ceiling, maybe a glass ceiling, but to the fact that like there's people of color at certain levels, but then it starts to get very pale. Somebody, I was speaking to a woman, I made a new connection um, in the company. I'm going to use that. You said get very And it gets very pale the higher up you go. So talk to me about kind of your most recent, I know that you've, again, just recently switched roles. Absolutely. Yes, I tried. Um, We spent a lot of time talking as you were in, (laughs) as you were on this job search. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know that you had definitely internalized a lot of the kind of advice that I gave you. So talk to me about kind of the mindset shift. Was it advice? Was, was it? Or was a couple of cuss outs in between? All right. So <laughs> I'm going to, 
I'm gonna Boy, just, you better. I'm going to, uh, what else? Are you wearing a plaid suit? Take what, it off. <laughs> what I'll say is because of mm. the friendship that we mm. have, Kerwin's coaching looks <laughs> a little different than usual coaching. So he's referring uh, to being cussed out. And I just uh, want to say, while I do believe in tough mm-hmm. love, that is very unique to the fact that it was yes. a, from a friendship perspective. Absolutely. So all coaching does not look like that. But talk us through what some of that coaching looked like and how that helped you to shift your mindset. Absolutely. Um, as far as the mindset, the mind, the mindset shift goes, let's start with um, resume writing. Um, I thought me hiring a professional resume writer was it. It mm-hmm. made sense initially where I reached out to a company um, and I hired a professional resume writer and the resume looked great. They gave you a, a one-off custom font and it looked great. And I remember I gave you what I thought was my proudest of achievements, my my four-page resume. And you're like, you need to condense this. This isn't necessary. No one cares about this award. Like you got that in the fifth grade. Like, come on now. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares. And Oop. I- uh, and I remember um, just as far as the teardown goes and the rebuild. So it wasn't all cuss out. It was a lot, it was it was very it was very constructive as it relates to let's start with the resume. Okay, cool. And I remember you explicitly saying like I get that currently right now you've been promoted to a manager role and you want to be a senior manager and you aspire to be a director. The director doesn't talk like that. I'm like, what do you mean? You like you sound like an engineer. You sound like a worker bee. But I'm a good worker bee. And he was like, well, but I'm a good worker bee who can who has influence. And it's like, I know that, but your resume conveys something different. So it was a matter of changing the language. And that was hard for me because I didn't feel like it was my words. But also back to the affinity group, I had people within my community at work that looked like me and said, no, Kerwin, you're you're it. You're this. You are a senior manager. You are a director. They saw things in me that I didn't see in myself. So the coaching aspect of it helped extract that. So Start with the resume. Cool. What roles internally here are you looking at that we know you'd be a good fit for? And here I am looking at, I don't know, say a senior manager role. And Kareem is like, no, you need to apply for this director position. And I'm like, I don't know. And you start doubting yourself. And it's like, no, you you went to Harvard. Like you need to, you need to tout that. Like you went to Wentworth and you had um, you have amazing, you have amazing scores and and uh and certifications. Like you need to promote that. And I think a lot of times coming from where we come from. Um, that's not necessarily celebrated. Um, I don't want to be a show off, so to speak, and you don't want to speak too highly of yourself. But at the same time, um, I've seen, I've seen myself get looked over for opportunities because, well, squeaky wheel gets the wheel, right? Absolutely. So I had to learn how to squeak the right way. Mm-hmm. And I, and I had to learn how to present that. So I thought squeaking meant, well, look at all these wonderful qualifications I have. Look, look, how, look, look how great I, look how high I scored on these tests and look how many certificates I have. And Kareem was like, that's all good and dandy, but let's now apply it to the actual role itself. Can, is it, is it applicable? Have you ever applied these muscles that you, that you work so hard trying to build up and strengthen? And it was like, no, not really. Well, this is how we're going to do that. This is how we convey that. Okay, cool. So we started with the resume. We started looking at roles internally as far as, okay, what does that look like? And how do you, and how do you, and how do you present yourself to it for it? Then we talked about the interview process and this is where the cuss out starts because the day before an interview, I, I, you know, I'm Jamaican. So the Jamaican in me is like, I'm wearing this plaid suit. And you're like, do you not have a navy blue suit? Do you not have a black suit? Do you not have a white shirt? And a real color tie. And I'm like, I do, but I want to wear something exciting and show off my personality. And it was like, no one cares about your personality. <laughs> they don't care about your personality. And you're going to pull your hair back and you're going to shave and you're going to do this. And it was like, okay, not saying I didn't know these things, but once again, given that I was already the incumbent, 
you, you're thinking, okay, I can get away with these things. And it's absolutely not. Um, having a, a coach, so to speak, as uh, Kareem was for me and still is for me, you get that constant reminder that although you may think you're the incumbent, there's still 10 people outside gunning for your role. There's still 10 people or even hundreds of other applicants who are probably not as qualified as you that got way more squeak and they're going to pay attention to them because, well, although you're the incumbent and you're here, you will easily be overlooked for someone that looks like, well, the hiring manager mm-hmm. or what they're interviewing, what they think they need. Because once again, you're here every day, but we don't know you, you went to Harvard. We don't know that you were, you were at Hewitt. We don't know you can code. All we know is that you're a great project manager. We know that you manage this team really well, and we want you to continue to manage this team very well. We're not looking for you to you know, hire your successor. We're not looking for you to you know, break that glass ceiling, although it gets pale, you say, mm-hmm. as higher you get. They like it pale up there. It is what it is, and, and that's perfectly fine. It's, it's a lot because even when I think back to the experience, it was just as far as the mental anguish, it's challenging because you're now forced you know, I'm an old dog. I have to now learn new tricks. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I've never, I never thought of that before. And given that you do work in IT, um, I'm, a, I'm a developer. I'm a, I write software, I write code. So I, I look at the world completely different. Um, and Karima, given that she comes from a world of creating processes and actually managing and running the business and leading and leading large groups to success based on those processes, um, I function a lot differently. So, it's, so when she was like, the wording needs to change, your language is wrong, your posture is wrong. It's like, what do you mean? Like, you don't know how to write no code. You don't write no software. It's like, I don't need to know how to write code to let you know that that's not what I expect my director to sound like. I don't expect my manager to lead that way. That's not going to garner you success. So once you start to, you know, adhere to a lot of what she said, it became a game changer. Absolutely. So thank you. You're welcome. So I think you touched on something that's really important. And it's the fact that bringing in a coach is literally... A fresh perspective. Absolutely. You've been in it. I've been existing in my skill set. I've been existing in my role. I may have been in the job search for a while, but having a fresh perspective, a fresh set of eyes that is new to the situation to give you that feedback of do this a little bit differently. I'm over your shoulder. Try, try, let's try to step this way instead of the way that you have been stepping. So I remember one of the things we talked about was that idea of that leadership, that leadership competency and pulling that out. Exactly. You could be a great worker, but that does not mean that you're going to be good at leading. And I just had, we just talked about the, the, the um, MDs and PhDs. You are great. You are amazing scientific mind, but are you a leader? And having that conversation with you about on paper and in your role, you've been able to do the work. But it's not really about doing the work. It's about being able to lead others. And if you want to make that shift from I am a worker to I am a leader, you have to show them I'm capable of doing this. Yes. That's definitely something that we spent a lot of time kind of working through is that shifting into that leadership competency and being able to show up as a leader. Yeah. And um, it's funny because um, as far as some of the litmus goes outside of the cuss outs, it was the it was the... (laughs) She's, you were very aggressive, Kareem. I'm going to let you know right now. Okay. You were very, very, we used to have like mock interviews the day before of an yes. interview. And I'm thinking, I'm killing it. And you'll be like, no, it's terrible. And I'm like, um, can you be a little softer with the delivery? And you're like, no, you need to hear that you suck right now. You can do this better. I've seen you do better. And yes. it was like, you're right. I can do better. Say it like this. 
but speak about speak about your strengths here as far as uh, community leadership goes, as far as what wins look like on your team, as far as what have you done? I know you're a great worker and all, and you've done awesome work, but what have you done as far as part of a collective goes to, to you know, move the agenda forward on a large scale as far as garner results go? And that's when it's like, okay, let me take a step back and see what I've actually done. And mind you, this was, you know, what, a two, three month process. Mm -hmm. So it was, it didn't happen. No, it was, was, this wasn't a week or two. This this was over time. And, you know, we'd have these conversations and we'd have these check-ins. And I would strongly recommend outside having a resume writer, consider getting you a life slash career coach. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that the, the caveat there is the life slash career. So the fact is people can give you career coaching, but if you're approaching it from a perspective of, apply for this role, leverage these skills, and that's it. You may miss out on some of the mindset stuff. And that's why my coaching is very much um, a multifaceted approach to coaching because it is taking that life coaching aspect and that idea of limiting beliefs and addressing the limiting beliefs, naming the limiting beliefs and addressing them and thinking about what a mindset shift, what, what mindset shifts do we need to go through to get you from point A to point B in your career? Because it's not just your career and that's it. It's a lot of things that are happening in your mind that you need to kind of work through. And that's where the life coaching definitely comes in and helps to almost super, supercharge the, the coaching Absolutely. that's happening. Absolutely not. Um, even outside of just professionally, some of some of the skills that I've learned from you um, translated into me being a better father and parenting. Um, it's given me a much, it's giving me an amplifier more or less, a, a megaphone as it relates to even the community. Um, I'm a part of a men's group, Kings Amongst Kings, where we work where it's young black professionals, or just not young black professionals, just black professionals in general. Whether you're an explant from outside of Boston, or you've been in Boston, whether you're an entrepreneur, or you know you're you're in education, whatever industry or space that you're in. Um, it, it gave me a megaphone to not only um, not have a voice and speak up, but to more so have influence. And now knowing, okay, they come to me now for advice. Um, they now lean on me for my skill set and my experiences and me sharing that, how that empower, how that empowers the group. So that's something that's super, super important because before, um, I don't think that existed. Absolutely. I, never, I never held the megaphone, so to speak. Definitely. Definitely. I love that. So talk to me more about um, this men's group. So you, it's Kings Amongst Kings. Kings Amongst Kings. I sit on the board. Okay. Um, it started by Jeff Similian. Jeff Similian is uh, one of the members of the founding members, uh, as well as Alex Edwards, uh, Boston Trust Realty Group. Um, these brothers do amazing stuff in the community. Uh, I know this upcoming week, they have a turkey drive coming up on Tuesday in Common Square. Um, Jeff recently opened up a low-key dispensary in Common Square. So- um, much success and blessings for him, um, as well as uh, Boston Trust Realty Group. He does commercial real estate. Um, I know he he's a dad. He's a good friend of mine. And um, we always talk and we connect and bounce stuff off each other. And every last Thursday of the month, we usually meet at the um, the Chase Community Room in Mattapan Square where we have our Kings meeting. And um, we have a different guest speaker. And uh, hopefully before the year's out, if not first quarter 2024, I will be on the panel uh, sharing my story more in depth okay. with the brothers. So um, if you don't mind, your son, more than welcome to come. Absolutely. You're more than welcome to come as well and be a fly on the wall. I'm not okay. saying we don't invite women, but you know, this is for the brothers. You okay. Know. No, I love that. I love the idea <laughs> of that safe space. I think that community in general, like whatever it looks like, it might look different in different settings. But the idea of community is very important. So I love that you have that kind of ability to come together with like-minded people and kind of share and grow with one another. Yeah, it's been something special. It's been it's been my saving grace. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I love the fact that it's real impact. Um, and, and it happens on a small scale and it just snowballs and, and, later, and later avalanches. And just even watching Jeff uh, open his dispensary and uh, help other brothers with funding, uh, credit repair, uh, purchasing their first homes, um, getting married, starting families. Um, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, you know, more so it just, it, once again, culture shift, mind, mindset shift, because once again, um, I, I was, I was, I was, I was in the office recently and I was heading out and I was in the garage and, um, one of the brothers that works in the facility, he was like, um, like, what do you do? And I'm like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the computer guy. And he's like, no, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm the senior manager for digital workspace user experience. And he's like, can you talk to my son? <laughs> and I'm like, where is this energy coming from? So, so, you know, I'm not the computer guy anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And he's like, you don't look like the computer guy. And I'm like, no, I don't. Like, this does not look like the computer, computer guy. guy. <laughs> but that's, again, why the representation is so important. Because your ability to show him that somebody that looks like me can do these things, it opens up. This is now a possibility for me. If he's doing it, then I can absolutely aspire to do this in the future. But that's the, the crazy part about it was he, like um, that story, even, the, even that short story in itself, I downplayed it like I'm just a computer guy. And he's like, no, there's something special. Yeah. You. You're just not the computer guy. Mm-hmm. I know I take out the trash. You're the only black guy here. You do something pretty special. Given that you're the only black guy here, even if you were just the computer guy, you're the only one I've yeah. seen here. Absolutely. What do you do? What's your title? Can my son talk to you? Mm-hmm. And um, and that and that's the reminder I get. Like you know what, this is I have a responsibility. Absolutely, got to pay it forward. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so you are a father. You are a father to four boys. Yeah. Talk to me about <laughs> what black fatherhood means to you. So I did a whole Black Fathers Matter campaign. That was actually what I kicked off the brand with. Yes, I remember. Um, back in 2020. That was dope. And it was very important to me. Um, for those that have been listening for a while, my son does not have a father right now. Um, his father passed away in 2015. Um, but he had a father. He had an amazing black father. And a lot of like who my husband was as a man shifted when he became a father. Um, and I have a great father. So there's and there's definitely men in the community who serve as role model examples to my son. But I think that black fatherhood is so important. So talk to me a little bit about your perspective on black fatherhood. I remember the first time I held my son and it, it sank in like it hit. Um, I remember when my wife was pregnant, you know, we talked, we talked to the baby in the belly and stuff, but I was still very much um, not, I, it didn't happen yet until he finally showed up. And I realized that, oh my gosh, I'm responsible for this life. I'm responsible for this person. Um, I had a great dad. Um, I, my, 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 my family structure is just, it's different. It's, it's unique. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to talk about it now, but, um, I had a rich dad. I had poor dad. And, um, these, these, these two men were amazing as far as shaping and molding me to who I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting as far as what I've taken from rich dad, poor dad, so to speak, a little Robert Kiyosaki mm-hmm. reference there. Um, is the work ethic. Um, my stepdad worked really, really hard, and I and my and my biological father, who I who I, I love him, I respect him. Um, he's still very much here. My stepfather passed away. Mm. Um, he was a great guy as well. Um, but as far as the art of say storytelling and uh, being that megaphone in the community, that came more so from my father, 
my stepfather, he 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 let the work speak for itself. Okay. And um I never realized how much of a superhero he was until he wasn't here anymore. And I can still hear his voice in my head. And I, it's funny when you when you're before you become a father, you tell yourself that you don't want to be nothing like your own father because my dad used to just do things. He had nuance to him. Like my dad would like, I don't know, he would talk to me, my brothers, and you know, West Indian parents. Mm-hmm. He'd he'd say he'd, he'd say something and step back like he just said some stuff and I was like man please and it wasn't until like I said like I'm 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 41 years old now um not saying I didn't need my dad when I was you know a teenager or my early 20s I had uncles and cousins mm-hmm. and, you know they'd fill in the blanks right but it wasn't until I was in my 30s and I was working in corporate America and I was starting a family and I was working on my house and it was like I need my father right now I need him right now um. As far as fatherhood for me goes present day, I have four boys. I have a seven-year-old. I have a five-year-old. I have a three-year-old. And I have a one-year-old. And um, he's getting all choked up a little bit. I love my babies. (laughs) Those boys are my everything. Um, I had a a win once. I had a real big win um, where I bought a really cool car. And I brought it home. And my son called me Iron Man. I was like, (laughs) yes. Yes, I'm the I've black, arrived. I am the black Tony I Stark. I have arrived. <laughs> My son thinks I'm Iron Man. Yes, I've won. And it's 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 the moments like that. And I remember when I had to get rid of the Iron Man car, whatever. And I and I'm like, am I still Tony Stark to him? Am I still Iron Man? I was Superman. And knowing that they depend on me, and they're thinking and knowing that I am Superman or I am Tony Stark or I'm Iron Man, that I'm something. I'm something out of, I'm, I'm so huge to them. It's almost celebrity like, because when they see me, it's like, they haven't seen me ever. And it's like, dude, I was here yesterday. You saw me this morning. Yo, and it's like, dad, it's like, what did you do today? And I'm like, you know, I fixed computers. And this, and, he's, and I remember I went to a party last weekend with my son and um, he was telling one of his classmates that his dad saves people's lives. And I'm like, I guess I do. I mean, in the grand scheme of yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely. He's like, my dad saves lives. He's a superhero. Yeah, he's Iron Man. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm like, that's it's supposed amazing. to be a secret. No, that's amazing. I love that. I love yeah. that story. Mm. That's very special. Yeah. So as far as fatherhood goes, man, I just want to be able to show up for him and be there for him the same way both of my dads were there for me. Absolutely. It's interesting because um, we, I, I can say we, I speak for the black community and other black men. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in a house mm-hmm. where love was very much understood. Like I provide this roof over your head, there's food on the table, there's clothes on your back. You're Understand. Loved. You're loved. Our kids have everything. Yeah. So for me, it's more the expression of it. Like I now get to express it. Like I hug them all the time. I mean, my son's about to be eight years old. Um, and I'm like, is he going to be comfortable with me still kissing him? Yes, I kiss my son. That's my, that's my son. Mm-hmm. I kiss him. Mm-hmm. Kiss him right on his mouth. I don't kiss him <laughs> on the mouth. We ain't doing that, but I kiss them, you know, and I kiss all my babies. I love them. I love them so much. And it's one of those things where my dad, his biggest compliment, you're all right. And give you a nice firm handshake. Thank you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you all right. And that was like a huge forward. And he would shake your hand. Like my pops was into hugging. He didn't do all that. Mm-hmm. He didn't do that. And even now as I'm, as I'm older and I'm in my relationship with my mother, um, we hug now and we tell each other, we love each other. Growing up, you didn't do that. 
man, that was weird. What do you mean you love me? What do you want? <laughs> that's, I mean, I don't know if it's a West Indian thing. I don't know if it's a Jamaican thing. My yeah. mom's kind of the same way. My yeah. mom's the same way. She definitely, like, I would hug her. She'd be like, what do you want? Yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you want? That was then. But now, now that the grandmothers, they're all soft now. So soft. And it was like. So soft. I'm like, where was this lady? For real. I needed you 20 years ago. <laughs> where were you? <laughs> 25 years ago, where was this woman? No, no, absolutely not. I was like, go get a switch. <laughs> Where's the belt? <laughs> yeah that's uh no i wasn't gonna say anything i just uh, no, <laughs> uh i'm done okay <laughs> um so now we're gonna switch gears we're gonna do the affirmation card Ooh. pull i get to pick a card any card you more. do get to pick a card so you know how i feel about this affirmation card deck you have a deck yes i do um, but it really is just a mechanism and a tool to help <laughs> us speak positivity into whatever situations are happening in our lives. So yes, use them in lots of different ways as journal prompts, as conversation starters. So pick a card. I use mine as journal prompts. That's I've been journaling. That's good. This past year, I've been writing stuff down. Oh. How is that working for you? I did it before mm-hmm. when I found myself in a really dark place and I was very lost and mm-hmm. I was confused. Um, me journaling helped me see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, even more so now, um, it provides structure. Um, I like to think like with the, with the manifestation cards, right? You read them out, right? Mm-hmm. And you say it. Words go out into the world. Absolutely. They take on flesh. It becomes gospel. Absolutely. For me, not only do I say it, the physical manifestation of it for me is writing it down, putting mm-hmm. pen, scribing it. Once I write it, my my body now commits to what I just wrote. Absolutely. My eyes now see it. My voice now puts it out there. It's It becomes a realer for me. Mm-hmm. So as far as using the cards as a journal prompt, that's exactly what they're there for. For me, that's what I use them for. Absolutely. Okay. Um. So pull a card. I like this one. Grab it. I go and grab this one. Okay, grab it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I have all the tools within, I have all the tools within me to shatter every ceiling and overcome every obstacle. How <laughs> fitting. How fitting. Literally couldn't have picked a better card. <laughs> Literally have, couldn't have picked a better card. I have all the tools within me to shatter every ceiling and overcome every obstacle. Okay. Why do I feel like I've heard you say this to me before? Like, If you had, if you needed confirmation, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Wow. How serendipitous. Tell me what that means to you. This is the extraction point. I remember during our coaching sessions, we would talk about goals and what I wanted to do and what my next role looked like and the impact. I'm like, I need to go here. I need to sharpen my blade. And it was like, no, you've are the blade is already sharp. It's within your it's within your arsenal. You are a Swiss Army knife. You have it. You just haven't pulled it out yet. And I'm like, what do you mean? And it was like, Kerwin, you've done this. Let me help identify some of your stronger some of your stronger suits as far as characteristics go. Um, so all the tools that I, I need are within to help me shatter every ceiling. And um, wow, I'm in a very, very special place now. I'm in very rare air um, as with some of my colleagues mm-hmm. and the work that I do. And as far as, you know, my path to success, I am very confident and I know what it looks like. I know what steps I need to take. I know what tools I now have within to shatter those ceilings. Mm-hmm. Before, it was very much I hit a ceiling. Absolutely. Can I have your card back, please? All right. <laughs> you can have your card back please. Right. That, was, that was a good one that it was, was a good one that was, that was really it was good. A good one wow that was really really good oh so my i'm gonna pull a card 
How you gonna pull? Give give me the deck, please. All right. Gosh, <laughs> shuffle your own deck and I go mean, pull, I'm talking about. I'm gonna pull a card and you gonna shuffle the deck and you gonna pull your own. I got I you. Mean, Hold on. They're all my cards. They're literally all mine. <laughs> I, I know. They feel so nice. Thank you. I a lot of effort went into picking a sample. Um, the finish, the sizing, a lot of there was a lot that went into it. <laughs> I remember one morning I was having some tea because, you know, Jamaicans drink mint tea. I'm mm-hmm. on in time. And I spilled some tea on it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. The it's cards waterproof. are waterproof. Yes, they are. Yep. All right. I didn't do a really good job fanning that out. Okay, okay. there we go. This one says, I am in charge of my life. I create the life I want. Ooh. And that is very much on brand. That is very much on brand. Um, One more time, please. I am in charge of my life. I create the life I want. So for me, it really is creating the multifaceted life of my dreams. I have a vision of what my life looks like, what my future life looks like. Um, And I show up every day in pursuit of that. And I try to do the best I can to kind of make decisions with that future in mind. So the idea of choosing things like if this is not going to serve the purpose, if it's not going to get me closer to that vision that I have for myself, is this the decision I want to make? So I feel like every day is me living in this idea of building the life that I want for myself. I'm in charge. I get to choose. I get to pick. I'm the architect. I get to design the life that I want for myself. So that very much is on brand for me. That's dope. That's Thank wild. I need I need to hear that. That was that's a good reminder. It's funny because I have this exact same deck and did not ever read those two cards. So yeah. There's <laughs> I mean, so there it's a it's a fifty-two card deck. Uh-huh. There is an instruction card and then there is a blank card. So the blank one is because a lot of like I said, I poured a lot into the creation of the sayings that are on the cards that are mm-hmm. actually written on there. But the reality is exactly like you said with the prompting. The idea of using it as a journal prompt, there may be a saying that is super pertinent to your life that you want to document and put on there. But there's also the idea of sometimes you don't need it. Sometimes you don't need an affirmation. Sometimes you are exactly where you need to be and you know that you have it. So we've had a couple of people on the podcast kind of sitting in these chairs that have talked about, I may be like going through something and I I feel like I, I got this, but I'm going to pull a card anyways, pull a card and end up with the blank card. So it kind of serves a couple different purposes, mm. but there are a lot of sayings in there. And I think that what I love about the deck is the fact that it's always on time. It is, it is exactly what you needed to hear in that moment. Oh, right. What's so? up? Without fail, yeah. like without fail, you're going to pull something and it's going to be pertinent. It's going to be applicable to your situation. Um, it's going to give you that little bit of encouragement that you need. So that is why I love the deck so much. No, the, 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 the deck's amazing. Um, it's funny. You said it's 52 of them. Yeah, clearly, I haven't gone through all 52 of them. <laughs> I clearly, I need to journal some more. I right? mean, there's nothing wrong with that. So I loved what you talked about with journaling. I think for me, I haven't been journaling as frequently, but some of the things that I enjoy doing when I am journaling um, is these exercises where it's like dear future self or dear past self. So like taking time to write like a letter almost to your future self. Like I said, I spent a lot of time thinking about what my future life is going to look like. Um, so I will send myself love notes. I will tell my future self how hard I'm working for her. 
the fact that I am committed to getting her where she needs to get to. But then there's also times when I do the dear younger self, um, again, love letters to my younger self where it's, I know you went through some things that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy and you are amazing and you are strong. And I thank you for hanging in there and doing what needed to be done, sacrificing to get me to where I am today. Because the reality is when you're going through it, like I said, when you're in it, you don't necessarily appreciate all of the things that are happening around you. So taking that time to do that reflection, there are some things, there are some days, I don't know how I survived. I don't know how I got through it. I had to compartmentalize a lot when I was dealing with like my husband's sickness. He was in and out of the hospital. I was trying to balance being a caretaker to somebody that was terminally ill, who I loved very much, being a mother to my son. I was an employee. I was working full time. I was also in grad school. So it's like I didn't necessarily allow myself to experience a lot during those times. So taking time now to write to my younger self every once in a while, send her some good vibrations. Um, That's amazing. But the idea of using that as a journaling, I, a journaling prompt is definitely something I recommend that idea of that reflection. And then that almost kind of forecasting, like talking to the future version of yourself. It's interesting you say that. Um, I have an issue with confrontation mm-hmm. um, where I am afraid to confront my younger self. Okay. Um, sometimes um, I refer back to giving my, you know, 18-year-old or 21-year-old self-advice, I love the fact that I have evolved to, you know, where I am today Mm -hmm. Um, as far as what I'm going to become or what I'm evolving into as far as future self goes. I know that there's so much work today that I need to do to make him better because that future me um, still has, you know, four sons that need me. Absolutely. My family needs me. Absolutely. I need me and I need me to show up. I think part of the reason why I think journaling and I encourage it as far as writing it down goes, once again, um, there's that physical manifestation of you committing to it with your body. When as you scribe those letters on that page, you're now committing to it as far as not I think or if mm-hmm. or when, but I am going to. This will happen. This shall happen. Absolutely. No, I love that. I love that. I think that that's something that you, like you said, you have some work to do in terms of confronting the younger self, but- it's a process. And I think that in time you will get there. Yeah. This is where the coaching sessions don't stop. That's what I was going to say. It sounds like, it sounds like we have a new kind of focus area for coaching. So we can definitely have that conversation. Absolutely. No, <laughs> I can definitely have that no, conversation. No. Um, I, I, I can totally see that. Um, not only helping with just saying going through a, a healing process, mm-hmm. so to speak, but more so the metamorphosis as it relates to securing that win as far as, okay, if you don't deal with some of these past traumas, so to speak, how do you expect to, you know, overcome these future challenges? Absolutely. So um, that's something that I'm learning now, and I'm going through. I'm, I'm going through it, and it's like, okay, um, I don't want to take this. I don't want. I don't want to take. I don't want to take advantage of this time and miss out on something good that should have been great. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for sitting down with me and being so transparent and open. Thank you for having me. I'm surprised, that, I'm surprised I haven't done this sooner. This Absolutely. is really cool. I know. I mean, yeah. I know that it's cool, but I was saying I know that I'm surprised <laughs> you haven't done it sooner, but I'm glad that you were able to do it. No, I'm glad I'm here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having Absolutely. me. Absolutely. No, seriously. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank yeah. you for coming. Like I said, I really do kind of applaud your ability to kind of navigate life the way you have. I think that you're a great lots of things. You're a great dad. 
You're definitely um, a great example, kind of a role model for the younger generation. So I'm glad that I was able to have you on and kind of give you an opportunity to share your story. Thank you so much, Karima. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode, where we celebrate the superpower that is being multifaceted. If this resonates and feels like home, make sure to send it to a friend, colleague, or someone close to you and write a review so we can continue to grow, connect, and celebrate. Until next time, continue showing up as your true self and taking up space.